Section 9 of Volume 1 of the Book of a Thousand Nights and a Night, translated by Richard Burton. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Anna Simon. The Book of a Thousand Nights and a Night, Volume 1, Section 9. The Tale of the Envier and the Envied. They relate, O Ifrit, that in a certain city were two men who dwelled in adjoining houses, having a common party wall, and one of them envied the other, and looked on him with an evil eye, and did his utmost endeavour to injure him. And, albeit at all times he was jealous of his neighbour, his malice at last grew on him till he could hardly eat or enjoy the sweet pleasures of sleep. But the envied did nothing save prosper, and the more the other strove to injure him, the more he got and gained and throve. At last the malice of his neighbour and the man's constant endeavour to work him a harm came to his knowledge. So he said, By Allah, God's earth is wide enough for its people. And, leaving the neighbourhood, he repaired to another city where he bought himself a piece of land, in which was a dried-up draw-well, old and in ruinous condition. Here he built him an oratory, and, furnishing it with a few necessaries, took up his abode therein, and devoted himself to prayer and worshipping Allah Almighty. And fakirs and holy mendicants flocked to him from all quarters, and his fame went abroad through the city and that countryside. Presently the news reached his envious neighbour of what good fortune had befallen him, and how the city notables had become his disciples. So he travelled to the place, and presented himself at the holy man's hermitage, and was met by the envied with welcome and greeting and all honour. Then quoth the envier, I have a word to say to thee, and this is the cause of my faring hither, and I wish to give thee a piece of good news, so come with me to thy cell. Thereupon the envied arose, and took the envier by the hand, and they went in to the inmost part of the hermitage. But the envier said, Bid thy fakirs retire to their cells, or I will not tell thee what I have to say, save in secret where none may hear us. Accordingly, the envied said to his fakirs, Retire to your private cells, and, when all had done as he bade them, he set out with his visitor, and walked a little way until the twain reached the ruinous old well. And as they stood upon the brink, the envier gave the envied a push, which tumbled him headlong into it unseen of any. Whereupon he fared forth, and went his ways, thinking to have had slain him. Now this well happened to be haunted by the Jan, who, seeing the case, bore him up and led him down little by little, till he reached the bottom, when they seated him upon a large stone. Then one of them asked his fellows, What ye who be this man? And they answered, Nay. This man, continued the speaker, is the envied height who, flying from the envier, came to dwell in our city, and here founded this holy house, and he hath edified us by his litanies and his lections of the Koran. But the envier set out and journeyed till he rejoined him, and cunningly contrived to deceive him and cast him into the well where we now are. But the fame of this good man had this very night come to the sultan of our city, who designed to visit him on the morrow on account of his daughter. What aileth his daughter? asked one, and another answered, She is possessed of a spirit, 
for Maimun, son of Damdam, is madly in love with her. But if this pious man knew the remedy, her cure would be as easy as could be. Hereupon one of them inquired, And what is the medicine? And he replied, The black tomcat which is with him in the oratory hath, on the end of his tail, a white spot, the size of a dirham. Let him pluck seven white hairs from the spot, then let him fumigate her therewith, and the marid will flee from her and not return. So she shall be sane for the rest of her life. All this took place, O Ifrit, within earshot of the envied, who listened readily. When dawn broke, and morn arose in sheen and shone, the fakirs went to seek the sheikh, and found him climbing up the wall of the well, whereby he was magnified in their eyes. Then, knowing that naught save the black tomcat could supply him with the remedy required, he plucked the seven tail-hairs from the white spot, and laid them by him. And hardly had the sun risen, ere the sultan entered the hermitage, with the great lords of his estate, bidding the rest of his retinue to remain standing outside. The envied gave him a hearty welcome, and seating him by his side, asked him, "'Shall I tell thee the cause of thy coming?' The king answered, "'Yes.' He continued, "'Thou hast come upon pretext of a visitation, but it is in thy heart to question me of thy daughter,' replied the king. "'Tis even so, O thou holy sheikh.' And the envied continued, "'Send and fetch her, and I trust to heal her forthright.' and such be the will of Allah. The king, in great joy, sent for his daughter, and they brought her pinioned and fettered. The envied made her sit down behind a curtain, and taking out the hairs fumigated her therewith. Whereupon that which was in her head cried out and departed from her. The girl was at once restored to her right mind, and, veiling her face, said, What hath happened, and who brought me hither? The sultan rejoiced with a joy that nothing could exceed, and kissed his daughter's eyes, and the holy man's hand. Then, turning to his great lords, he asked, How say ye? What fee deserveth he who hath made my daughter whole? And all answered, He deserveth her to wife. And the king said, Ye speak sooth. So he married him to her, and the envied thus became son-in-law to the king. And after a little the wazir died, and the king said, Whom can I make minister in his stead? Thy son-in-law, replied the courtiers. So the envied became a wazir, and after a while the sultan also died, and the lieges said, Whom shall we make king? And all cried, The wazir. So the wazir was forthright made sultan, and he became king regnant, a true ruler of men. One day, as he had mounted his horse, and, in the eminence of his kinglyhood, was riding amidst his emirs and wazirs and the grandees of his realm, his eye fell upon his old neighbour, the envier, who stood afoot on his path. So he turned to one of his ministers, and said, Bring hither that man, and cause him no affright. The wazir brought him, and the king said, Give him a thousand miscals of gold from the treasury and load him ten camels with goods for trade, and send him under escort to his own town. Then he bade his enemy farewell, and sent him away, and forbore to punish him for the many and great evils he had done. See, O Ifrit, the mercy of the envied to the envier, 
who had hated him from the beginning, and had borne him such bitter malice, and never met him without causing him trouble, and had driven him from house and home, and then had journeyed for the sole purpose of taking his life by throwing him into the well. Yet he did not requite his injurious dealing, but forgave him and was bountiful to him. Then I wept before him, O my lady, with sore weeping, never was there sore, and I recited, Pardon my fault, for tis the wise man's want all faults to pardon and revenge forego. In sooth all manner faults in me contain, then deign of goodness mercy grace to show. Whoso imploreth pardon from on high, should hold his hand from sinners here below. Said the Ifrit, Lengthen not thy words. As to my slaying thee, fear it not, and as to my pardoning thee, hope it not but from my bewitching thee there is no escape. Then he tore me from the ground which closed under my feet, and hew with me into the firmament, till I saw the earth as a large white cloud or a saucer in the midst of the waters. Presently he set me down on a mountain, and, taking a little dust over which he muttered some magical words, sprinkled me therewith, saying, Quit that shape, and take thou the shape of an ape. And on the instant I became an ape, a tailless baboon, the son of a century. Now when he had left me and I saw myself in this ugly and hateful shape, I wept for myself, but resigned my soul to the tyranny of time and circumstance, well weeting that fortune is fair and constant to no man. I descended the mountain and found at the foot a desert plain, long and broad, over which I travelled for the space of a month, till my course brought me to the brink of the briny sea. After standing there a while, I was ware of a ship in the offing, which ran before a fair wind making for the shore. I hid myself behind a rock on the beach, and waited till the ship drew near, when I leapt on board. I found her full of merchants and passengers, and one of them cried, "'O oh, Captain, this ill-omened brute will bring us ill luck!' And another said, "'Turn this ill-omened beast out from among us.' The captain said, "'Let us kill it.' Another said, "'Slay it with the sword.' A third, "'Drown it.' And a fourth, "'Shoot it with an arrow.' But I sprang up, and laid hold of the racer's skirt, and shed tears which poured down my chops. The captain took pity on me, and said, "'O oh, merchants, this ape hath appealed to me for protection, and I will protect him.' Henceforth he is under my charge, so let none do him aught hurt or arm, otherwise there will be bad blood between us. Then he entreated me kindly, and whatsoever he said I understood, and ministered to his every want, and served him as a servant, albeit my tongue would not obey my wishes, so that he came to love me. The vessel sailed on, the wind being fair, for the space of fifty days at the end of which we cast anchor under the walls of a great city, wherein was a world of people, especially learned men, none could tell their number save Allah. No sooner had we arrived than we were visited by certain Mameluk officials from the king of that city, who, after boarding us, greeted the merchants, and giving them joy of safe arrival, said, Our king welcometh you, and sendeth you this roll of paper, whereupon each and every of you must write a line. For ye shall know that the king's minister, a calligrapher of renown, is dead, 
and the king hath sworn a solemn oath that he will make none wazir in his stead who cannot write as well as he could. He then gave us the scroll which measured ten cubits long by a breadth of one, and each of the merchants who knew how to write wrote a line thereon, even to the last of them. After which I stood up, still in the shape of an ape, and snatched the roll out of their hands. They feared lest I should tear it or throw it overboard, so they tried to stay me and scare me, but I signed to them that I could write, whereat all marvelled, saying, We never yet saw an ape write. And the captain cried, Let him write, and if he scribble and scrabble, we will kick him out and kill him. But if he write fair and scholarly, I will adopt him as my son, for surely I never yet saw a more intelligent and well-mannered monkey than he. Would heaven my real son were his match in morals and manners! I took the reed, and, stretching out my pole, dipped it in ink, and wrote, in the hand used for letters, these two couplets. Time hath recorded gifts she gave the great, but none recorded thine which be far higher. Allah ne'er orphaned men by loss of thee who be of goodness mother, bounty sire. And I wrote in Rehanai, or larger letters, elegantly curved, Thou hast a reed of reed to every land, Whose driving causeth all the world to thrive. Nil is the Nile of Misraim by thy boons, Who makest misery smile with fingers five. Then I wrote in the soul's character. There be no writer who from death shall fleet, But what his hand hath writ man shall repeat. Write, therefore, naught save what shall serve thee When thou sees on judgment day, and so thou sees. Then I wrote in the character of Nusk, When to sore parting fate our love shall doom, To distant life by destiny decreed, We cause the inkhorn's lips to plain our pains, And tongue our utterance with the talking reed. And I wrote in the Tumar character, Kingdom with none endures, If thou deny this truth, Where be the kings of earlier earth? Set trees of goodliness while rule endures, and when thou art fallen they shall tell thy worth. And I wrote in the character Muhakak, When ope the inkhorn of thy wealth and fame, Take ink of generous heart and gracious hand, Write brave and noble deeds while write thou can, And win thee praise from point of pen and brand. Then I gave the scroll to the officials, And, after we all had written our line, They carried it before the king. When he saw the paper, no writer pleased him save my writing, and he said to the assembled courtiers, Go seek the writer of these lines, and dress him in a splendid robe of honour. Then mount him on a she-mule, let a band of music precede him, and bring him to the presence. At these words they smiled, and the king was wroth with them, and cried, O oh, accursed! I give you an order, and you laugh at me? O oh, king, replied they, if we laugh, tis not at thee, and not without a cause. And what is it? asked he. And they answered, O king, thou orderst us to bring to thy presence the man who wrote these lines. Now the truth is that he who wrote them is not of the sons of Adam, but an ape, a tailless baboon, belonging to the ship captain. Quoth he, Is this true that you say? Quoth they, Yea, by the rights of thy munificence. The king marvelled at their words, and shook with mirth, and said, I am minded to buy this ape off the captain. 
Then he sent messengers to the ship with the mule, the dress, the guard, and the state drums, saying, Not the less do you cloth him in the robe of honour, and mount him on the mule, and let him be surrounded by the gods, and preceded by the band of music. They came to the ship, and took me from the captain, and robed me in the robe of honour, and, mounting me on the she-mule, carried me in the state procession through the streets, whilst the people were amazed and amused. And folk said to one another, Hallo, is our sultan about to make an ape his minister? And came all agog crowding to gaze at me, and the town was astir and turned topsy-turvy on my account. When they brought me up to the king and set me in his presence, I kissed the ground before him three times, and once before the high chamberlain and great officers, and he bade me be seated, and I sat respectfully on shins and knees, and all who were present marvelled at my fine manners, and the king most of all. Thereupon he ordered the leeches to retire, and, when none remained save the king's majesty, the eunuch on duty, and a little white slave, he bade them set before me the table of food, containing all manner of birds, whatever hoppeth and flieth and treadeth in nest, such as quail and sand-grouse. Then he signed me to eat with him, so I rose and kissed ground before him, then set me down and ate with him. And when the table was removed, I washed my hands in seven waters, and took the reed-case and reed, and wrote instead of speaking these couplets. Will for the little partridges on porringer and plate, cry for the ruin of the fries and stews well marinate, keen as I keen for loved lost daughters of the katagrouse, and omelette round the fair and browned fowls agglomerate. O fire in heart of me for fish, those deux poisons I saw bedded on new-made scones, and cakes in piles to leniate. For thee, O Fermicelli, aches my very maw, I hold without thee every taste and joy are clean annihilate. Those eggs have rolled their yellow eyes in torturing pains of fire, ere served with hash and fritters hot that delicatest cate. Praised be Allah for his baked and roast, and, ah, how good this pulse, these potherbs steeped in oil with isil combinate. When hunger sated was, I elbow-propped fell back upon meat-pudding, wherein gleamed the bangles that my wits amade. Then woke I sleeping appetite to eat as though in sport, sweets from proceeded trays and kickshaws most elaborate. Be patient, soul of me, time is a haughty, jealous white. Today he seems dark lowering, and tomorrow fair to sight. Then I rose and seated myself at a respectful distance while the king read what I had written, and marvelled, exclaiming, Oh, the miracle that an ape should be gifted with this graceful style and this power of penmanship! By Allah, tis a wonder of wonders! Presently they set before the king choice wines in flagons of glass, and he drank. Then he passed on the cup to me and I kissed the ground, and drank, and rode on it. With fire they boiled me to lose my tongue, and pain and patience gave for fellowship. Hence comes it, hands of men abear me high, and honey-dew from lips of maid I sip. And these also. Morn set to-night, withdraw and let me shine, so drain we draughts that dull all pain and pine, I doubt so fine the glass, the wine so clear, if tis the wine in glass or glass in twine. The king read my verse and said with a sigh, 
Were these gifts in a man, he would excel all the folk of his time and age. Then he called for the chessboard and said, Say, wilt thou play with me? And I signed with my head, Yes. Then I came forward and ordered the pieces and played with him two games, both of which I won. He was speechless with surprise. So I took the pen-case and, drawing forth a reed, wrote on the board these two couplets. Two hosts fare fighting through the lifelong day, nor is their battling ever finished, until when darkness girdeth them about, the twain go sleeping in a single bed. The king read these lines with wonder and delight, and said to his eunuch, O Mukbil, go to thy mistress, Sit al Husn, and say her, Come, speak the king who biddeth thee hither to take thy solace in seeing this right wondrous ape. So the eunuch went out, and presently returned with the lady, who, when she saw me, veiled her face, and said, O my father, hast thou lost all sense of honour? How cometh it thou art pleased to send for me and show me to strange men? O Sit al Husn, said he, no man is here save this little footpage and the eunuch who reared thee, and I thy father. From whom then cost thou veil thy face? She answered, Tis whom thou deemst an ape is a young man, a clever and polite, a wise and learned, and the son of a king. But he is ensorcelled, and the Ifrit Jirjaris, who is of the seed of Iblis, cast a spell upon him after putting to death his own wife the daughter of King Iphitamus, lord of the islands of Apnus. The king marvelled at his daughter's words, and, turning to me, said, Is this true that she said of thee? And I signed by a nod of my head the answer, Yea, verily, and wept sore. Then he asked his daughter, Whence knewest thou that he is ensorcelled? And she answered, O oh, my dear papa, there was with me in my childhood an old woman, a wily one, and a wise, and a witch to boot, and she taught me the theory of magic and its practice, and I took notes in writing, and therein waxed perfect, and have committed to memory an hundred and seventy chapters of agromantic formulas, by the least of which I could transport the stones of thy city behind the mountain Kaf and the circumambient main, or make its site an abyss of the sea, and its people fishes swimming in the midst of it. O oh, my daughter, said her father, I conjure thee by my life, disenchant this young man, that I may make him my wazir and marry thee to him, for indeed he is an ingenious youth and a deeply learned. With joy and goodly gree, she replied, and, handing in hand an iron knife wherein was inscribed the name of Allah in Hebrew characters, she described a wide circle. And Shahrazad perceived the dawn of day and ceased saying her permitted say. When it was the fourteenth night, she said, It hath reached me, O auspicious king, that the Kalandar continued his tale thus. O my lady, the king's daughter, hand in hand, a knife, whereon were inscribed the Hebrew characters, and described a white circle in the midst of the palace hall, and therein wrote in Cufic letters mysterious names and talismans, and she uttered words and muttered charms, some of which we understood, and others we understood not. Presently the world waxed dark before our sight, till we thought that the sky was falling upon our heads, and, lo, the Ifrit presented himself in his own shape and aspect. His hands were like many pronged pitchforks, his legs like the masts of great ships, 
and his eyes like cressets of gleaming fire. We were in terrible fear of him, but the king's daughter cried at him, No welcome to thee, and no greeting, O dog! Whereupon he changed to the form of a lion, and said, O traitress, how is it thou hast broken the oath we swear that neither should contraire other? O accursed one, answered she, how could there be a compact between me and the like of thee? Then said he, Take what thou hast brought on thyself. And the lion opened his jaws and rushed upon her. But she was too quick for him, and, plucking a hair from her head, waved it in the air, muttering over it the while, and the hair straightway became a trenchant sword-blade, wherewith she smote the lion and cut him in twain. Then the two halves flew away in air, and the head changed to a scorpion, and the princess became a huge serpent, and sat upon the accursed scorpion, and the two fought, coiling and uncoiling, a stiff fight for an hour at least. Then the scorpion changed to a vulture, and the serpent became an eagle, which sat upon the vulture, and hunted him for an hour's time, till he became a black tomcat, which mewled and grinned and spat. Thereupon the eagle changed into a piebald wolf, and these two battled in the palace for a long time, when the cat, seeing himself overcome, changed into a worm and crept into a huge red pomegranate, which lay beside the jetting fountain in the midst of the palace hall. Whereupon the pomegranate swelled to the size of a watermelon in air, and, falling upon the marble pavement of the palace, broke to pieces, and all the grains fell out and were scattered about, till they covered the whole floor. Then the wolf shook himself, and became a snow-white cock, which fell to picking up the grains, proposing not to leave one. By doom of destiny one seed rolled to the fountain-edge, and there lay hid. The cock fell to crowing and clapping his wings, and signing to us with his beak as if to ask, Are any grains left? But we understood not what he meant, and he cried to us with so loud a cry that we thought the palace would fall upon us. Then he ran over all the floor, till he saw the grain which had rolled to the fountain-edge, and rushed eagerly to pick it up, when, behold, it sprang into the midst of the water, and became a fish, and dived to the bottom of the basin. Thereupon the cock changed to a big fish, and plunged in after the other, and the two disappeared for a while. And, lo, we heard loud shrieks and cries of pain which made us tremble. After this the ifrit rose out of the water, and he was as a burning flame, casting fire and smoke from his mouth and eyes and nostrils. And immediately the princess likewise came forth from the basin, and she was one live coal of flaming low, and these two, she and he, battled for the space of an hour, until their fires entirely compassed them about, and their thick smoke filled the palace. As for us, we panted for breath, being well-nigh suffocated, and we longed to plunge into the water, fearing lest we be burned up and utterly destroyed. And the king said, There is no majesty, and there is no might save in Allah, the glorious, the great. Verily we are Allah's, and unto him are we returning. Would heaven I had not urged my daughter to attempt the disenchantment of this ape-fellow, whereby I have imposed upon her the terrible task of fighting yon accursed Ifrit, against whom all the Ifrits in the world could not prevail. And would heaven we had never seen this ape, Allah never assain nor bless the day of his coming. 
we thought to do a good deed by him before the face of Allah, and to release him from enchantment, and now we have brought this trouble and travail upon our heart. But I, O oh my lady, was tongue-tied and powerless to say a word to him. Suddenly, ere we were aware of aught, Yifrit yelled out from under the flames, and, coming up to us as we stood on the estrade, blew fire in our faces. The damsel overtook him, and breathed blasts of fire at his face, and the sparks from her and from him rained down upon us, and her sparks did us no harm, but one of his sparks alighted upon my eye, and destroyed it, making me a monocular ape, and another fell on the king's face, scorching the lower half, burning off his beard and moustachios, and causing his under-teeth to fall out, while a third alighted on the castrato's breast, killing him on the spot. So we despaired of life, and made sure of death, when, lo, a voice repeated the saying, Allah is most highest, Allah is most highest, aidance and victory to all who the truth believe, and disappointment and disgrace to all who the religion of Mohammed, the moon of faith, unbelieve. The speaker was the princess who had burned the ifrit, and he was become a heap of ashes. Then she came up to us, and said, reach me a cup of water. They brought it to her, and she spoke over it words we understood not, and sprinkling me with it cried, By virtue of the truth, and by the most great name of Allah, I charge thee return to thy former shape. And behold, I shook, and became a man as before, save that I had utterly lost an eye. Then she cried out, The fire, the fire, oh, my dear papa, an arrow from the accursed, hath wounded me to the death, for I am not used to fight with the Jan. Had he been a man, I had slain him in the beginning. I had no trouble till the time when the pomegranate burst and the grains scattered, but I overlooked the seed wherein was the very life of the jinni. Had I picked it up, he had died on the spot, but as fate and fortune decreed, I saw it not. So he came upon me all unawares, and there befell between him and me a sore struggle under the earth, and high in air, and in the water." and as often as I opened on him a gate, he opened on me another gate, and a stronger, till at last he opened on me the gate of fire, and few are saved upon whom the door of fire opened. But destiny willed that my cunning prevail over his cunning, and I burned him to death after I vainly exhorted him to embrace the religion of Al-Islam. As for me, I am a dead woman. Allah supply my place to you. Then she called upon heaven for help, and ceased not to implore relief from the fire, when, lo, a black spark shot up from her roped feet to her thighs, then it flew to her bosom, and thence to her face. When it reached her face she wept, and said, I testify that there is no God but the God, and that Mohammed is the Apostle of God. And we looked at her, and saw naught but a heap of ashes, by the side of the heap that had been the Ifrit. We mourned for her, and I wished I had been in her place. So had I not seen her lovely face who had worked me such weal become ashes. But there is no gainsaying the will of Allah. When the king saw his daughter's terrible death, he plucked out what was left of his beard, and beat his face and rent his raiment, and I did as he did, and we both wept over her. Then came in the chamberlains, and grandees, and were amazed to find two heaps of ashes, and the sultan in a fainting fit. 
so they stood around him till he revived, and told them what had befallen his daughter from the Ifrit. Whereat their grief was right grievous, and the women and the slave-girls shrieked and keened, and they continued their lamentations for the space of seven days. Moreover, the king bade build over his daughter's ashes a vast vaulted tomb, and burn therein wax tapers and sepulchral lamps. But as for the Ifrit's ashes, they scattered them on the winds, speeding them to the curse of Allah. Then the sultan fell sick of a sickness that well nigh brought him to his death for a month's space. And when health returned to him, and his beard grew again, and he had been converted by the mercy of Allah to Al-Islam, he sent for me, and said, O youth, fate had decreed for us the happiest of lives, safe from all the chances and changes of time, till thou camest to us, when troubles fell upon us. Would to heaven we had never seen thee in the foul face of thee! For we took pity on thee, and thereby we have lost our all. I have on thy account first lost my daughter, who to me was well worth a hundred men. Secondly, I have suffered that which befell me by reason of the fire and the loss of my teeth, and my eunuch also was slain. I blame thee not, for it was out of thy power to prevent this. The doom of Allah was on thee as well as on us, and thanks be to the Almighty for that my daughter delivered thee, albeit thereby she lost her own life. Go forth now, O my son, from this my city, and suffice thee what hath befallen us through thee, even although twas decreed for us. Go forth in peace, and if I ever see thee again, I will surely slay thee. And he cried out at me. So I went forth from his presence, O my lady, weeping bitterly and hardly believing in my escape, and knowing not whither I should wend. And I recalled all that had befallen me, my meeting the tailor, my love for the damsel in the palace beneath the earth, and my narrow escape from the Ifrit, even after he had determined to do me die, and how I had entered the city as an ape, and was now leaving it a man once more. Then I gave thanks to Allah, and said, My eye, and not my life. And, before leaving the place, I entered the bath, and shaved my pole and beard and moustachios and eyebrows, and cast ashes on my head, and donned the coarse black woolen robe of a calander. Then I fared forth, O my lady, and every day I pondered all the calamities which had betided me, and I wept, and repeated these couplets. I am distraught, yet verily his ruth abides with me, though round me gathered hosts of ills, whence come I cannot see. Patient I'll be, till patience self with me impatient wax. Patient for ever till the Lord fulfil my destiny. Patient I'll bide without complaint, a wronged and vanquished man. Patient as sun-parched white that spans the desert's sandy sea. Patient I'll be till Eloise self unwittingly allow. I'm patient under bitterer things than bitterest Eloe. No bitterer things than Eloise or than patience for mankind, yet bitterer than the twain to me were patience treachery. My sere and seamed and seared brow would dragoman my sore, if soul could surge my sprite, and their unsecret secrecy. Were hills to bear the load I bear, they'd crumble neath the weight. T'would still the roaring wind, t'would quench the flame-tongue's flagrancy. And whoso saith the world is sweet, certes a day he'll see, with more than Eloise's bitterness and Eloise's pungency. Then, 
I journeyed through many regions, and saw many a city intending for Baghdad, that I might seek audience in the house of peace with the commander of the faithful, and tell him all that had befallen me. I arrived here this very night, and found my brother in Allah, his first calendar, standing about as one perplexed. So I saluted him with, Peace be upon thee, and entered into discourse with him. Presently up came our brother, this third calendar, and said to us, Peace be with you, I am a stranger. Whereto we replied, And we too be strangers who have come hither this blessed night. So we all three walked on together, none of us knowing the other's history, till destiny crave us to this door, and we came in to you. Such then is my story, and my reason for shaving my beard and moustachios, and this is what caused the loss of my eye. Said the housemistress, Thy tale is indeed a rare, so rub thy head and wend thy ways. But he replied, I will not budge till I hear my companions' stories. Then came forward the third calendar, and said, O illustrious lady, my history is not like that of these my comrades, but more wondrous and far more marvellous. In their case fate and fortune came down on them unawares, but I drew down destiny upon my own head, and brought sorrow on mine own soul, and shaved my own beard, and lost my own eye. Here then, the third calendar's tale. End of section 9